Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Well, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I think we're all there for the most part. Everyone probably but me. I just turned there, but... Uh, We are continuing a study that we've been doing on the Lord's Prayer in its original context. One of the two occasions of the Lord's Prayer in Scripture. One, of course, being the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is teaching all about prayer. We looked at it last week. He goes into how not to pray, and then he goes into how we ought to pray, right there in the middle of that sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached. And then here in Luke 11, this is where we've been focusing. You have the Lord's Prayer within the broader context of a conversation that his disciples are having with him. And that conversation starts with the disciples asking Jesus to teach them what was for them they saw as the secret of the power of Jesus's life. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. I got, I mean, if I were to ask, if Jesus was here right now, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, I need a few things. Could you teach me? You're pretty good at stuff. Can you teach me to preach? I want to get better at that. Or could you teach me to do the whole thing where your friends are dead and you bring them back to life? Like, that's a pretty cool one. Okay. Lord, can you teach me to walk on water? That's awesome. Lord, can you teach me to pay my taxes through the mouth of a fish? So many of my problems would be solved if I could just learn to fish and pay my taxes at the same time, you know? Um, but no, that wasn't the request that, that the disciples asked. They saw behind all of the public life of Jesus, there was this private power that came from him getting alone, as was his custom, with his father and praying And so they asked what we should all ask. They asked this question, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Would you make us your students? Would you teach us to pray? And from that request comes the Lord's model prayer. I'm not sure if you knew that. That prayer that you grew up reciting, chanting in church was actually a teaching response. Our Father who art in heaven, that prayer. So let's read the context here in Luke 11 and we'll continue Uh, this study. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? Luke 11. If you're physically able, stand with me for the reading here of Luke 11. And as has been our custom, um, I'll read the first two verses and then join me. Let's say this prayer together out loud when we get to verse 2. Luke chapter 11 verse 1 tells us, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, Father, I ask now that as I seek to communicate your word, that you would fill me with the power of your spirit, so that, God, this time is worthwhile. Just for the short moments we have left, we ask for you to intervene, for you to speak, for you to reveal who you are. God, I give all my efforts to you, I trust them to you, and I ask for you to speak through me. Get me out of the way so that we could see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Well, as I said, this is our third week in this series we've entitled, Teach Us to Pray. Third week, we got one more week next week. Uh, excited for this summer coming up. We have our summer school series. going to be looking at nine essential doctrines here on the weekend. Going to be doing some deep dive and apologetic stuff on Thursday nights. But here as we get into our third week, we've been following a flow here. I want to remind us though that though this is a series we're doing here on Sunday, we've sort of themed and and really uh, envisioned that these four weeks would be more of a united spiritual journey together. Certainly Sunday's a part of it, but the title of this series is really what our prayer has meant to be this whole series. God, would you teach us to pray? That's what we've been praying. Lord, as a church, as a community, as individuals, would you help us be better prayers? What we've been envisioning is that at the end of these four weeks, we would experience just a little bit even of growth in the richness of our prayer life. So we've established two goals here to really go after this goal of growing in prayer. The first thing we've said is as a church, we want to commit to praying this request. What request? 
of Jesus to teach us to pray. That, that's the first thing. Um, this is huge, right? We know this for any, any learning. There must first be a teachable heart. To really learn something, there's got to be that real um, acknowledgement of I need to learn or I want to learn. Uh, there's a reason why I don't remember anything I learned from high school. I didn't want to learn any of it, right? And so most of it went right over my head. But if we want to truly be discipled by Jesus and be disciples of Jesus, we've got to come with a posture that says, Lord, I don't know it all. And whether that comes from a place of pride that says, I know everything there is to know about prayer. Lord, what else can you teach me? I should be teaching this series on prayer, right? Whether it's that or the backhand of that of like, man, I, I know there everything there is to know about prayer and it doesn't work. Sort of the fatalist mentality. We're coming to Jesus with this unified heart and, and we're going to his word. We're looking at the Lord's prayer with this teachable spirit of, of humility saying, God, would you teach us? Now, it's not just praying this request and studying his teaching, but it's also practicing this prayer. That's also what we've been seeking to do. We've committed that over the, these next few weeks, and if you're just getting here for the first time or like you've missed a couple weeks, we've said don't be like one of those weird legalistic people and be like, oh, I'm going to give up now. You know, God forget, you know, forgets me. or No, like we want to keep going. We want to start from scratch. Even today, you can join this. We want to be practicing this prayer. So we've been using the Lord's Prayer as a basis to practice, a fundamental. Uh, we, we've learned that this prayer is not meant to be this sort of mechanical, like, prison of prayer. Like, if you've ever prayed anything outside of the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer, the Lord did not hear you, okay? You better be praying the Lord's Prayer, okay? No, it's meant to be a guide, right? A guide to be practiced. So that's what I've been doing. Sometimes I get to the places in my prayer life where I just don't know what to pray. Anybody else? It's like, now I lay me down to sleep. No, it's the morning. Um, uh, grace, you say, isn't that a thing? Like, it's, you kind of run out of prayers to pray. And so even just practicing this prayer, it's a great place to start. Those are two things, by the way, that are necessary to learn something uh, in, in the best way possible, is teaching and practice. That's where spiritual formation happens, and that's where all learning happens. Now, you can learn something without being taught. That's called, like, learning by doing, and, like, that's a lot of life. But it doesn't have to be the only way that you learn, right? On the other hand, you have a lot of people who all they do is, it's all about teaching, right? I could tell you everything about the Lord's Prayer, all right? I know the theological backdrop, the eschatological connections going on, all right? It's like, well, do you pray? No, I don't, I don't pray, right? You have more today. You have more like God theorists, unfortunately, than God practitioners, you have more people theorizing ideas about God. But we as a church, we're not after being know-it-alls. We're after knowing Jesus. Amen? And so part of that is this. Lord, teach us. And Lord, let us practice what you're teaching us. And I want to say that as we've been practicing this, this is just free, by the way. This is a little extra this morning. Um, this is, again, meant to be an enhancement to your prayer life. Any area of life that you're excelling in, you got there through practice. Okay, Practice makes... Perfect. I think it was Vince Lombardi who said, actually, perfect practice makes perfect, right? But whatever. The point is, you got to practice. Okay, practice? Isn't that Alan Iverson? Anyway, practice, okay? It's important to be practicing what we're learning here. Anything you've grown in life has come through that. Now, there's other acronyms that people have brought to me that are also great tools to practice. Has anybody heard this one before, the ACTS acronym? Another great way to practice prayer, uh, the A stands for adoration. You come before God to just declare who he is. You say things like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, or you can bring confession of sin into that. That's in the Lord's Prayer as well. You could also bring thanksgiving. God, thank you for everything you've done for me, coming before him with thanksgiving. And then supplication, bringing your needs before God. There's like another one that goes with the acronym for the word pray. Um, it's like I don't know. I'm not going to try to make up and pretend what it is. I don't know what it is. All right. And then I actually read a book that that's uh, was really helpful to my prayer life called Praying Through the Tabernacle by a Calvary Chapel pastor named John Corson. And it walks you through prayer as if you're going through the tabernacle. And I want to say this. All of this is good. This is good. The danger, again, is that you become imprisoned to what's meant to serve your prayer life. And same with the Lord's Prayer. It's meant to guide and lead us into greater intimacy with God. Now, as we get into this prayer this morning, what Jesus is going to give us is the, we're going to look at the first three of six petitions in this prayer. Okay. Now, a petition is an appeal to a higher authority with respect to a particular cause. 
So you have like societal petitions where uh, the community will get together and they'll try to get the government to, you know, build a softball field or something. You know, I don't know who actually wants that to happen, but, but you know, for me, it's like a skate park. It's been something that they've been trying to get in Deerfield, I know, for a while. Let's get a skate park in Deerfield. A petition. It's an appeal to a higher authority with respect to a particular cause. And Jesus here in the Lord's Prayer, this guiding prayer that he gives us for our prayer lives, it contains six of these petitions. Now, what's really important, we established last week, is what's really important is the foundation of our relationship with God in these petitions, right? The first thing Jesus says is not what you need to ask God. The first thing that Jesus says is that when you pray, you need to make sure you know who you're praying to. When you pray, you're coming before your Father who is in heaven. That's not just some formality, like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to say when I come before God, or some secret formula that actually helps you get what you want, like an abracadabra spiritual word. This is a way to remind ourselves who it is we're coming to when we pray. And this is the foundation. This determines whether or not we pray. This determines how we pray. This determines what we pray. This is the basis of it. So Jesus lays that foundation and says, this is, first of all, how you're coming before God when you bring your requests. Okay, so when we come before God with whatever our petition is, so however we appeal to God, he's definitely a higher authority, whatever our particular cause is, we're not coming as like citizens to a government official, like, hello there, honorable God. my name is Andrew, I live at, you know, 1630, whatever. You know, and here I am, I'm just, I just have a request for you. No, we're coming as children into the lap of our Father. Just envision this. This is prayer. Prayer is not going to, like, the local council building, but it's going home. I'm with God. I'm with my Father. Yet at the same time, it's my Father where? In heaven. So there's this intimacy with this reverence involved, You know what this means? This means that when my petition doesn't, um, it doesn't get answered the way that I was expecting it to, I can trust that my Father in Heaven knows better, right? So like recently, a great example of this would be my daughter Evie, who's three years old now, and one of her favorite things to do is to sit on Daddy's lap and drive the car, okay? Um, any other dads do this? I'm just, am I, okay, good. I'm not the only one breaking the law. Good, okay. All right. I mean, by the show of hands, that's much different than the, the glares I get in my neighborhood. So, um, you know, um, favorite thing to do, especially when there's puddles outside. We love to splash around in the puddles and make the big wave over the car. It looks like we're getting barreled by a puddle. It's fun. Um, but the, the other day, I had to take Evie home, and she got in a lot of trouble because, um, and I love Evie. She's so stubborn, and God's going to use it for his kingdom. I claim that in Jesus' name. Um, (laughs) But Evie insisted, you know, by the way, when you let your kid drive, it doesn't mean like you're in shotgun. Yeah, you got it. You know, it's they're on your lap and they're kind of, they think they're driving. Do you know what I'm saying? You're like, oh my gosh, look at you. Three point turn. Good job. But there came a point where Evie kept slapping my hands off the steering wheel. No, I'm driving. Okay. And, and I had to kind of sneak my way in, and then eventually I said, Evie, and there's cars coming by at this point. Okay, Evie, I need to drive the car, right? And as much as Evie knew, and that, as much as her petition, she was convinced this is what she needed, this is what she wanted, her father knew. Right? Her father knew that what she was asking for could actually wreck her and wreck us. Think about God. Think about all the times in life that we say, Lord, I want to drive. I want to do this, God. I want to do that. And here's what we do. We go, God, we can come before you knowing that you hear that, but we can trust that you're our father and that you know best. And so let's follow the son of God himself, Jesus. He gives us some petitions here. Um, And what I want to kind of get us thinking about this morning is this idea with these petitions that Jesus gives us to bring our father, uh, this idea of prioritize petitions. You can just write that even at the top of your notes, prioritize petitions. Um, got a question for you. Let's think of it this way. When you pray, if and when you pray, what do you mostly pray about? Just think about that for a second. Like if there were a, the way I thought of this is almost like if there were an FAQ section of your prayer life, frequently asked questions. You go to a website, sometimes there's, if you had an FAQ section of your prayer life, maybe it would be an FPP, frequently prayed petitions, okay? If you were to access the things that you bring to God, 
majority at least, what's there? What are you praying about? Now, uh, for me, as I've taken some inventory on this, um, it was really easy for me to think about. It wasn't like close, like, oh, kind of this. And it was pretty much like overwhelmingly a despairing amount of prayers in my life center around this idea of help me. Anybody else? Okay. Help me. W- whatever the prayer is, it often takes this form. So God, would you enable me to do this? Lord, would you provide for me? God, would you forgive me? Would you guide me? Would you speak to me? God, help me. (laughs) Which, let me establish this first and foremost, that's a great thing to pray. God would, would much rather you look to him for help than anyone else. God would much rather you depend on him than you depend on yourself. In fact, next week we're going to get all into the importance of bringing everything to God in prayer. Philippians 4 says, be anxious about nothing but in everything. Maybe you're wondering today, man, what are the things I should pray about? What are the things I shouldn't pray about? Anything that which concerns you, God cares for. Bring everything to God. Cast our cares, 1 Peter 5, 8, we cast our cares on God because he cares for us. And maybe you go, man, that's just such an insignificant thing, but he's a father who cares for his children. So even if it's not going to knock him off his throne, what you're going through, if it's burdening you, he loves you enough to care for what's burdening you. Did you know that? Do you know God that way? Some of us, we know a God that says, oh, that's too little. God's up in heaven doing busier, bigger things. He doesn't have a time for my little issue, my little relational qualm, my little, my little problem here. No, that's not the truth of Scripture. The truth of Scripture is not just that God is great and he's up in heaven and he's high and he's holy. The truth of Scripture is that God is also good and he's close and he's near and he's personal and he's acquainted with grief. And he knows what we're going through. So we are encouraged in Scripture to bring what things? Everything to God in prayer. So help me should be a prayer that we pray. Maybe the reason why we pray so much is just greater evidence of the fact of how much help we actually need, right? Like, I think the reason why I'm always praying this is because I always need it. Like, there's never a moment in my life where I don't need to ask God for help, but there is a danger here in prayer. We see it, right? We can very subtly, with these kinds of petitions, if this is all I pray about, it's interesting how quickly we, I, can sort of slide into the center of my prayer life. And, and what ends up happening is I'm actually not communing with my Father in heaven. I'm actually sort of having this transactional relationship with God. And I'm saying, okay, God, here's all my needs. I'm paying my dues. I'm putting my money in the machine. I'm showing up. I'm praying. I'm praying the Lord's prayer, your prayer, okay? I'm bringing it to you. Therefore, I've made my payment. Can I get from you what I need? Self-centered. Um, Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf, best name ever, said this. He said, the main temptation, notice this, is not to reject God outright, but to embrace him as something secondary and then use him as an instrument for our own ends. The greatest temptation today, especially in the church, is not to reject Jesus, but to accept a Jesus that is not Jesus. He's a vending machine savior. He's a therapy savior. He comes alongside of my life to help me fulfill my dreams, to accomplish my will, to accomplish my purposes. I end up using this God. I haven't rejected him, but I've embraced him as something secondary, and I can end up using him for my own purposes. That's an unsurrendered life, isn't it? Now, this is why we are disciples of Jesus, because we're all guilty of this. We're all prone to this, but we've come to our master Jesus and said, Jesus, we have a tendency to pray in this way. I have a tendency to be at the center of my prayer life. So Jesus, okay, here's what I'm going to help you with. I'm going to give you some prioritized petitions. And this is consistent with Jesus, right? Jesus was always helping us get first things first and second things second, wasn't he? He said things like, seek first the kingdom of God. Most of the issues in our life don't come from our circumstance. It comes from our perspective. It doesn't come from what I don't have. It comes from who I'm seeking and what I'm seeking. So Jesus came to rearrange some of the furniture in our lives there, constantly saying, no, no, seek the things that are above, right? He came to reprioritize our life so that first things can be first and then everything can flow from that. And so he gives us some prioritized petitions here. Notice here, as Jesus leads us to pray, 
with the foundation of our Father in heaven, notice that the first three petitions that he has us pray, they all center around God and his purposes. Isn't that amazing? Three petitions. Uh, A petition concerning the name of God, your name. A petition concerning the kingdom of God and the will of God. Your name, your kingdom, and your will. Um, Now, this isn't coincidental, right? This is intentional. Jesus is teaching us how to have God at the center of our prayer life. Because what you put first is what's at the center of your life. What you do first thing in the morning. Who or what you put before everyone else. You could tell that's the most valuable thing to you. To you, right? So Jesus gives us these prioritized petitions here um, to help get God into the center of our prayer life. And I want us to see them through two lenses. These are first intercessory prayers or prayers of intercession that these prayers he gives us. Uh, Intercession means to be a mediator standing between two parties, often helping a a relationship reconcile. You ever had to be an intercessor for someone? Okay, like you're like, come on, can you just go to them? And you actually have to be like the messenger. Like you're like, don't kill the messenger. All right, but what they said is you're ugly. Okay, no, but that's not how you intercede, by the way. That's how you stir up what's called beef in the hip hop world. But um, <laughs> intercession is when you you, you stand between t- a, a broken relationship between two people and you seek to reconcile it. Intercession. Um, the way that Jesus leads us to pray, it, it's it's as if he's saying. As my child, I want you to be sort of this bridge. Think about prayer in this way, between heaven and earth. Do you see the you see the connection there with those two places? It's used a couple times, right? Our Father in heaven, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here we are, we're people of earth. We're children of earth. How's it going? Earth. I sound like an alien. Hello, children of earth, right? But God has become our Father and He's in heaven. So through Jesus, who came down from heaven to earth to bring us from earth in relationship with our Father in heaven, we we celebrate that because now we know God in heaven. But here we are still on earth. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. And Jesus is saying through prayer, it's like we access the resources of heaven and get to bring them back down to earth. It used to just be earth, like earth life. Earth issues, earth problems, but now we have the connection through Jesus to heaven's resources. So come before your Father in heaven, and don't just bring your needs on earth, but bring the needs of earth before him. And come before him. Access through Jesus. And I want to say that what I'm trying to paint in, in our minds is a picture of how Scripture paints prayer as productive. As productive. For many of us, we went over this in the first week, but for many of us, the main reason why we don't pray is we actually deep down don't believe it works. We think that what God really needs is for me to get to work. What's the age old saying? Like, prayer doesn't prepare us for work. It is the greater work. And we could say that all day long, but do we believe that? Most of us, I mean, if we were to look at the way that we pray, do we believe that? I mean, if you look at my life, my tendency is if you, if you go, okay, what's Andrew's faith statement about God? It looks like Andrew thinks God wants him to work really hard to make God do things. It looks like Andrew's trying to perform his way into God's blessing. But, but Jesus calls us into another way that says, try this thing called doing less and praying more. And watch me work through it. And listen, look at the picture again. Prayer, I'm, I'm accessing the things of heaven, the resources of heaven. By the way, we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to meet the needs of earth, right? Do we? Like your loved ones who don't know the Lord, that have all these questions that you want to see come know the Lord, to fix the sin in our life, to, to fix what's broken in this world. Like we, we are called to be active, but it's the resources of heaven that are going to heal earth. So, so we pray, we call out to God, and it's this access, this intercession, accessing, if you will, almost like the vault of heaven and pulling those things down to earth. But it's not just a matter of bringing what's in heaven down to earth uh, in intercession. This is, this, these prayers that Jesus gives us, they're also centering prayers, centering prayers, okay? So when I pray this way, prioritizing my petitions around the purposes of God, I'm, I'm accessing what's true in heaven, and I'm bringing it down to earth, but I'm also centering myself on what matters most in life. Um, this is true, right? Um, how you pray 
is who you are. You become how you pray. You go, well, I don't pray. Exactly. You, you become what you pray. This is why Jesus said things like, pray for your enemies. It's like, don't want to do that. Want to punch them or something. Like, what? You want me to fake the prayer? No, just commit to praying. Um, there's something that happens in the human heart when you take someone off of your hit list and you put them on your prayer list. I'm going to start praying for that person. You ever done this? Try this. Think right now. Think about something you just, someone you just hate them. You hate them. Start praying for them. Watch how your heart follows your prayers. Watch as you, by the way, the prayers, they're not like judge them. Bring your fiery wrath in Jesus' name. Vengeance is yours, says the Lord, says you. That's not, right? right? God of angel armies, okay? No, like, love your enemies is the next verse, right? So start playing blessing, and all of a sudden your heart starts changing towards that person. God starts giving you his heart for that person, and you see beyond what the naked eye can see. Your heart follows prayer. And so there's no coincidence here. Jesus is saying, pray this, prioritize your prayer, not just around your needs. That's going to be self-centered prayer. Prioritize your prayer around the things of heaven the things of God, and watch as you pray God-centered prayers, watch how you start living a God-centered life. As you pray God-centered prayers, let me tell you, this works. This is not just some static spiritual activity. You start praying, leaning into the purposes of God. Watch God use your life for something amazing. Like, that's how we, like, when we started this church, it, we just got around going, not, God, here's what we want to do. Would you bless it? We started saying, Lord, what are you doing and how can we be a part of it? What are you up to? Isn't that so different than waking up and going, okay, God, you, here's, my, here's my list. Here's all my problems. Here's all my, all my exciting things, okay? Here's, here's that person, okay? Lord, help me today. Also, you're pretty great. Amen, okay? You just start praying, prioritizing who God is, and we end up a God-centered people. I want to remind us that this is um, our vision as a church, isn't it? Uh, if you've come here, even just for a short, am short amount of time, it's likely that you've heard us use the phrase, Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center. Our vision is that as a church, we would be what's called a theocentric community compared to an, what's called an anthropocentric community. Anthropocentrism, practice that this morning, is the belief that there is nothing more valuable in life than man and his desires. It's also called a Western civilization. Okay. Western culture, individualistic culture. Man is at the center. There's entire worldviews built around me being at the center. What's really sad is when this creeps into the church. And man's purposes, man's preferences, man's passions, they start taking the center stage. And Jesus just slips out the back and we don't even know he's gone. Like, no, I've seen that. I've done that. I don't want that. A lot of us, we've united in this community around this heart that just says, at all costs, Jesus at the center. Am I alone with that? I don't think so. We want that. We don't want this to be about, we want to really give our lives to a Lord and Savior who leads this thing, who is the pastor of this thing, versus anthropocentrism, man at the center. We want to be theocentric, God at the center. Now, for that to happen, let's start here. Okay, like, Jesus at the center, oh, it's so, it's so spiritual, right? I love that. Ties into soulless, so connected. Right? After about a year now, it's just, it's just kind of cute. It's like, oh, nice. But for that to be true means that we start actually being Jesus-centered people, right? Like, if we're going to be a Jesus-at-the-center community, that means we're going to live individually Jesus-at-the-center lives. And this is how we get there. Right, guys, this is how we get there. We pray this way. Lord, you first. You first. Uh, and this is why this is so important. I love the way Oswald Chambers said this. He said, it is true that prayer changes things, but prayer also changes me so that I can change things, right? God, would you please change my marriage? In Jesus' name. And the Lord's like, are you sure? 
I know what could help your marriage. You, right? Most of what we, most of what we bring to God is, is like half right. <laughs> Lord, fix this. Lord, reach the city of Boca Raton, South Florida with the gospel. It's like, okay, start believing it and proclaiming it. See, prayer changes things, but prayer changes me so that I can change things. I mean, look at these three requests that Jesus has us pray. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. It's so easy to look at these requests as things that can happen out there. God, let that be a thing out there. God, we just pray that your name would be worshipped. Lord, we just pray that your kingdom would come. Lord, we just pray that your will would be done. And God goes, that's a great prayer, but let's let judgment begin in the house of God. Because for my kingdom to come means yours has to go. For my name to be hallowed, that means you've got to stop praying, hallowed be my name. Hallowed be your own name. You're living for the fame of your own name. For me to bring my will, you want my perfect will done on heaven? Great. Delight yourself in my will. But let's look at these. Your name. That's the first thing he says to pray. In this idea of hallowed be your name, it means to worshipfully acknowledge the name of God. Hallowed be your name. Now, that's not really a word that we use today as much. You know, It's kind of close to Halloween, but two different worlds, kind of, right? Prayer and Halloween, same thing, right? No, all right? Hallowed, again, it's not a word, it's not common to our vernacular. You know, you got the gym, bro, you're looking hallowed, right? It's not really a word we pull out. But the word hallowed is an old English word. There's not really a modern equivalent to it. And it simply means this priority, this, this petition, it means for God to set apart his name as holy. It means to set something apart as holy, to consecrate, or we might understand the word to sanctify something as holy. It's a word of worship, all right? Because what are they asking to be set apart as holy? The name of God. The name of God. Now, do we know this, that God has a name by John Mark Homer? He does, okay? That was a book that we read last year as a church, God Has a Name. Um, but when, when, we, when we talk about God's name as proclaimed even to Moses as merciful and gracious and long-suffering, we're talking about more than a title. Like today, when we talk about someone's name or like your name, my name, usually my name is used to get my attention, right? And if I'm in trouble, my full name. But usually it's just the first part. Right? Andrew, yeah. Or Andrew, right? It's usually, it's usually a form of, 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 of a title. Whereas in, in the Old Testament, in history, for God to reveal his name was to reveal an inner essence about a person. It's the truth of a person. It's that person revealed and manifested. So when God declares his name to Moses as merciful and gracious, he's saying, this is who I am. And even though we don't use that as much today, like it's still true, right? Because like you've been in a situation where someone used someone else's name and you're like, ugh, maybe not, maybe just me. But, or maybe you're more like, mm, okay. But you were, you, you, maybe it was like, oh, their name. It kind of brought, now Ecclesiastes says what? That a good name is better than the finest perfumes from Nordstrom's, okay? Nordstrom or the rack, a little cheaper. But <laughs> a good name, right? There's nothing like a good name. You know what I mean? And it's amazing how, how, by the way, as good as a name could be, like even in this room, like Chick-fil-A could mean something good to some people, and to others, it could mean something bad, like in our cultural time. I don't know how, chicken's delicious, but, um, <laughs> you know, and it provokes imagery. It, pro it provokes an idea of identity. You go, oh, it's a reputation. Oh, oh, that name. Oh, that place. Oh, that restaurant. Oh, that person. A name. But what this prayer is saying is, God, we are those who have known what you're like. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Okay. Lord, you have declared to us your name, and we believe that the reputation of who you are needs to get spread. We, we want people to set apart your name. We, we want the fame of your name to go out. We want your name and who you are, the name of Jesus by which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We want everybody to know how awesome that Jesus is. We want your name to be hallowed, hallowed, set apart as holy, okay? distinguished, set apart as this is the most cherished and, and awesome, right? Like when we talk about God being holy, we don't mean like in this room, God's better than all of us. He's the best. He's the most holy. But we mean that God is outside of the building altogether. And here we are in here, and there's God over there as holy. 
And when we pray this, we're saying, Lord, let your name be hallowed. May, may people know who you are and worship who you are through our lives. What a great way to pray. And then he says, and also pray like this, let your kingdom come. To pray this is a prayer for God's kingdom to be powerfully advanced. Now, like the word hallowed, kingdoms, in other words, that we don't commonly use seriously, unless we're thinking of like, you know, the King Elvis or, or uh, LeBron James, you know, or um, whatever it may be, kingdom. It's kind of a foreign word or like some show, you know. Uh, my wife's like obsessed right now with um, uh, Victoria. You guys thought I was going to say Game of Thrones. I didn't. I didn't. No. Okay, that show, uh, The Crown. She's like obsessed with the, with the whole kingdom world of England, that dynasty. Um, but I want to tell you something, okay? Everybody in this room has a kingdom. A kingdom. A, a kingdom, what, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a domain. It's whatever you possess and rule over. Do you know that? You have a kingdom, okay? Maybe, you know, dads. It's the house. Okay. You rule from your royal lazy boy throne, right? All right, moms, students, whatever it is. Your, your, what's your kingdom? Your career? That's your kingdom. Your family? Even if you go, I'm homeless. You have a body that you have under your possession to have domain and, and rule over. Um, now, the one thing, though, about human kingdoms, no matter how big or small your kingdom is, okay, like, that's another thing that we like to do is, as a family, we like to, we like to go around and, and um, I don't care, I feel like this is like embarrassing to say this, but what's the worst that can happen? Um, <laughs> famous last words. Um, but another hobby that we have is we like to drive around and look at all the massive houses in Boca. It's really fun to do. You know, you just look on and you're like, oh, never lived there. Oh, <laughs> wow. It's just good sometimes to, to conclude it. You know what I mean? You're able to appreciate the architecture more, okay? Um, but it's fun. You go, you go, wow, look at that little. But at the end of the day, it's just a little kingdom. No matter what kingdom it is, no matter where you go, you can go to some amazing places, see some amazing kingdoms, but every earthly kingdom has two things in common. It's limited in duration, and it's limited in distance. No matter how big the empire was, it didn't, ruin, it didn't rule the entire universe like God does. No matter how long that rule extended, it ended. That's why we would be foolish to build our lives according to sandcastle kingdoms that are going to crash down. That's why we would be foolish to put the hope of our lives in an earthly kingdom. Let's not do that. You see, this is why Jesus says, Here's how, you need to pray for God's kingdom to come. God's kingdom to come. You see, God's kingdom, Psalm 103 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. This is what's awesome. God's kingdom has no limit to its distance. Heaven is his throne. Earth is called his footstool. It's where he puts his feet up after a long day. That's his rule. Overall, no limit to the distance. And listen, no limit to the duration. His kingdom, look at this, is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures throughout all generations. That's why we celebrate Jesus as our resurrected king. They mocked him as they put that thing over his head on the cross and said, oh, he's the king of the Jews. He is the king of the Jews and he's the king of the whole world. Watch, he rose from the dead. Never-ending kingdom. Ever, forever extending kingdom. So if this is true about God, why is the prayer calling for it to come? If it already is, why would we invite it? Right? Because certainly to say your kingdom come is signifying that it's not here. Okay? Um, and, and what this language is doing is Jesus invites us to pray for God's kingdom to be powerfully advanced. Is it harkens back to a time when God had a kingdom project here on earth. In the beginning of Genesis, you know, God is introduced as a king, as he's creating this world. He's using royal language. And, and like any sovereign king, he's ruling through his word. That's how kings get things done. When a king wants a, a village built or a local park for the little subjects of his kingdom, okay, little peasants. I want a little peasant park over there for the peasants, okay? What that king does, he doesn't get off his throne and go build the park. Okay, I'm a king, you know. 
Usually not. Usually that king rules through his word and says, go build the park, right? Yes, king, you know? And, and, and here's God ruling through his word, word, creating everything that's under his sovereign control, creating the world. And he says light, light's there. But this God, he's a good king, right? And this is also what's hard for us when we try to imagine God as king. We have all the other kings in our mind. Those kings were created to be in God's image. Let's be careful not to create God's image out of those kings. Or whatever boss you've had before, right? And a lot of us, we have a problem with authority with God because of the authority we've experienced from man. But God does not rule like any man does. God rules as a good king. He creates this world to be a blessing to those within it. Self-giving in his love. And he's saying, man, it's good, and it's good. And then he, this is amazing, then he takes Adam and Eve, and he, and he uses them as sort of like these royal delegates. And he places them in a garden, and he gives them, the Bible says, domain and rule over creation. That's kingly language, right? That's like, hey, I'm, I'm the king, but under my authority, I'm going to give you some authority. And listen, here's the, here's the kingdom project. Steward all these raw materials and spread this garden of Eden to the ends of the earth. Make this place beautiful, be fruitful, multiply. That was a good time. Right? A lot of us, we think of God as like the king of killjoy. Like, oh, he just doesn't want, he wants us to, you know, obey all his rules. And we focus so much on the tree that they weren't supposed to eat, right? But it also says that he said he gives every other tree they could, they could have. It's like my kids. It's like the one thing they can't touch is the thing they want to touch, you know? But this is a good God. And he, he created all the, all the different aspects of enjoyment and pleasure. And here's God. He creates as a king these subjects of his to sort of be his royal delegates. And they have their own authority, but they're to trust him. And instead of, listen to this, instead of ruling over creatures, they come under the authority of a creature. And as fast as a snake could slip into a garden, the fall of man happens. The fall of man was not about fruit, by the way. You're like, I would have passed that. I'm like more of a vegetable guy, actually. Okay. The fall of man was an, was an, listen, you know what sin is? Sin isn't only in what you're doing, it's why you're doing it. Sin is an autonomy issue. It's saying, God, you don't know as good as I do. That's why I'm going to live this way. That's why I'm not going to do these. That's why I'm going to do these things and not what you tell me to do. And there's Adam and Eve, and they instead, here's what happens. When Adam and Eve come under Satan's authority, they transfer the power of earth from God to Satan. That, that's the issue now. And, the, and a curse has spread into this whole world. It's why when, G, when Jesus is tempted by Satan and Satan's like, hey, I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of this world. Jesus doesn't go, uh, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, I'm the son of God. Everything's mine. He acknowledges the authority that Satan has. As the, the Bible says, the prince of this heir. That's who is now ruling. That's who, in a sense, has been reigning. And that's why the gospel is such good news. When Jesus shows up on the scene in the gospel of Mark, he comes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The king is here. The king is back. The kingdom is breaking in. And we look at the miracles that Jesus is doing, and these aren't just like, oh, that's a cool magic trick Jesus did. These are inbreakings of the kingdom of God into earth. Oh, my goodness. Healing, reversing the curse of sin. Wow. And he brings the good news of the gospel. This is a, why is it the good news of the gospel, of, of the kingdom? If it, was, if it was any other kingdom, it wouldn't be good news that the king was here. Because usually when a new kingdom comes in, everybody from the old kingdom, they get slaughtered. Okay, And the new king goes, all right, watch out, kicks over the old kingdom, we're here. And, and that's the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world, as man has proven from time after time, rules by force. But it was the kingdom of God that was going to bring good news to man because God is coming to establish his kingdom, not through taking our lives, but through giving his own life. This is a new kind of kingdom. This is a king, by the way, who serves. This is a king who's going to give his life a ransom for many. Have you ever heard of a crucified king who rules from the throne of his cross? Wow. Establishing the kingdom. And so right now as the church, we are those who are a part of the kingdom, this kingdom project. You know, we look forward to a day 
Every day we look forward to this day where the kingdoms of this world, check this out, in Revelation, this, this is our, our hope in the future. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That was a great place for an amen. I'm going to read the verse all over again. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, like you mean it. This is our hope. Our hope is that sin and death are not going to have the last word. And right now, as the church, we are like a kingdom outpost here in Boca, here in South Florida. We are ambassadors of this king, and we're not seeking to be about the things that our fathers in the garden were about seeking their own will, but we, look at the last prayer, we seek to bring the kingdom through seeing God's will delightfully accomplished. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you see the transfer here, right? We worship God's name. We prioritize the worship of his name. That's what we live for. We put down our own names. We invite the coming of his kingdom which comes through the message of the, of the crucified king who went to a cross so that we could be a part of his kingdom, so we could be forgiven of our sins, the, the multifaceted accomplishments of the cross. So our kingdoms go so that his kingdom can come. We no longer use our careers and our, and our, and our families. We no longer use it to build our own temporary kingdom. We surrender our authority back to God. And we say, God, use whatever kingdom you've given me for your kingdom project. And then you have it seeing a, being accomplished through his will coming on earth as it is in heaven. Your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting verse there to sort of mess up a lot of our theology, right? Some of us come from the idea that it's like there's only one will in life, God's will and nothing else. And um, I, I don't want to split too many hairs and get us too distracted and step on too many toes. I will step on about two or three here, but not too many. Um, but here Jesus says, here's how you pray that God's will would come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how is God's, now let's say this. Jesus is certainly establishing something, that God's will is done on earth differently than it is in heaven. Right? Otherwise, why would he say pray that? So there's something about heaven and earth that are different as it pertains to God's will. Okay? In heaven, we would say this, that God's will is perfectly done. How is it done in heaven? Perfectly. Okay. There's no questioning God in heaven. God is ruling and reigning in heaven. But here on earth, you could say it that, that God's will is done more permissively. Permissively. Okay. Um, you have an example of this with Job, right, when he's about to suffer. And for Job to suffer, Satan comes before God. That's another will involved. You have the will of the enemy. Comes before God and says, hey, I want to afflict this guy. And God, still maintaining his sovereign control of the universe, he says, okay. Okay. He doesn't say, no, Satan, you don't have a will. No, okay. No. God gives it permission. Now, this is what's amazing about God. God is able to still, the Bible teaches... Uh, Ephesians 1 says this, that God, um, he accomplishes everything through the, the counsel of his will. Everything through the counsel of his will. And he's working all things together for the good. Only God can take the pain and the suffering and the evil that we've gone through and are going through. Even when right now we don't see a purpose for it, we don't see a hope in it, only God could take it and use it. And he does. Through the power of his will, we're going to look back in retrospect and go, okay, now, looking ahead's hard. Being in it sucks, right? This is hard. But to see God work it all, he's able to sovereignly do that. Yet at the same time, we're in this place of kind of the already, not yet. Like, so we pray things like, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's done perfectly in heaven. You know, permissively here on earth, God allows things to play out, all while still maintaining the sovereignty of his will. Uh, the point I'm trying to get to is this. Is you, I can't read the Bible with a, of a plain reading of scripture and draw this conclusion that humans are not responsible for some things. Okay? Like, people are like, why did God let so much evil happen? It's like, well, God didn't invent the atom bomb. Pretty sure that wasn't his idea. Like, this would be a great thing to create. No. No, there, there's, what, what is obedience if there's no will? What is love if there's no will? 
It's just robotic, kind of like a modern game of The Sims, you know. Just like life happening and playing out. But, but, but Jesus gives us another way. This way that God is sovereignly ruling over all, yet he is still accomplishing his will. And here's how he does it through our surrendered lives. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is the great model of this. While Jesus was, was in that garden of Gethsemane, he said what? Not my will, but your will be done. It was C.S. Lewis who said at the end of the age, we'll close with this, there's going to be two kinds of people. People who say, thy will be done, or people who say, my will be done. So where do you find yourself this morning? As you look at the priorities of your life, who's ruling and reigning? What kingdom are you building your life upon? Whose name are you living for? And whose will is being accomplished in your life? I want to be the kind of person that can surrender myself to Jesus and say, Lord, I delightfully do your will. It was the psalmist who said, I delight to do it, God. I delight to do your will. Um, Lord, I pray that during this, this closing time here, you would just seal all the things on our hearts that you've spoken to us today. Uh, and Lord, you would help us be those that prioritize what we bring to you. Father, we need you to be less self-centered. God, we need you to produce within us lives that are revolving around you. So even now, God, after even studying and talking about these things, we just pray first that your name would be worshipped in our lives. That you would be set apart as holy. That when people look at our lives, would you work in such a way that they glorify you? That your kingdom would come. Jesus, thank you for bringing the good news of the kingdom. Bring your kingdom into our lives. We, we seek to come under your authority. You are our king. Lord, help us get off your throne. That we might worship you as the one true king. And Lord, whatever your will for our life is today, we know there's generally some things you told us in your word, but even the specifics, whatever it is you're speaking to us, Holy Spirit, give within us this ease to loosen our grip and allow you to be God. That we might be agents, God, of your will on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thanks for, again, all the awesome moms here. We ask that you would bless them and bless them again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.